Good morning. Last week we uh, <clears throat> did a survey of the New Testament and uh, looked at some of the amazing gifts that God has given to us. One of the greatest treasures that He gave us is right here in our hands, Amen. the Bible. And uh, in this book that tells us about the gifts, um, the Bible itself is a gift from, from God. And He has miraculously, there's no other word for it, but He has miraculous, miraculously preserved His Word for us. When we think of the Old Testament and how old it is, how long He has preserved that for us with complete accuracy. And the New Testament, um, 1900 years, uh, again, with complete accuracy, without error. Through the preaching of His Word, we have, uh, and faith in His Word, what He says, we have salvation. Praise God for this gift He has given us. And in His Word, we have God's revelation of His Son, of who He is, really, through His Son. Um, the Bible is a great book. It really is. It's like no other book. Um, if we do a flyover <clears throat> of the Old Testament, uh, as we, we've done in the past, it's like, uh, let, let me describe it this way, it's like an enormous arrow pointing forward to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have all kinds of prophecies about a coming Savior, about the one who would come to redeem us. And it's like a, an enormous arrow pointing forward to the New Testament. And in particular, it points to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament predicts things to come. The New Testament is the fulfillment of those things. The Old Testament lays a foundation. So if we think of it in building terms, it's the foundation. The New Testament is like the building. The Old Testament shows the fall of man, why we have world conditions the way they are today. Sin entered into the world. That's in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, <clears throat> it tells of the redemption of men through Jesus Christ, how we can know God how we can have our sins forgiven, how we can have a place in heaven with Him. When men write books, they generally write things uh, that are important to them. Um, and in their writings, <clears throat> they emphasize the things that are important to them. God has done the same thing. The Bible is an amazing book in another sense. It is actually not one book, but it is 66 books that make up the, the whole book, the whole Bible. And there is a, an amazing consistency uh, from beginning to end. And really, we can say that this book, made up of 66 books, has one theme, and that theme is the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us about God. It tells us about who He is. It tells us about what He has done and what He is doing and what He will still do. God emphasizes what's important to Him and what should be important to us. 
For example, <clears throat> even though God is the creator of the entire universe, and he could fill libraries, not just volumes, but libraries describing um, everything about the intricacies of the universe, so much so that it would cause uh, scientists' heads to spin. He doesn't do that. Now, he could. He could blow us all away with his knowledge of the intricacies of the universe. But he doesn't do that. In fact, very, very little uh, space is devoted to creation. The first three chapters of Genesis is the main um, information we have about the, the creation. Now, he does bring it up on occasion throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, little bits and pieces, but it's not the focus. It's not what he considers to be of primary importance. God's focus, even in the book of Genesis, not so much on creation as it is on his creatures. And in particular, God focuses attention in the book of Genesis down to one family, Abraham and his descendants. And so Abraham's family actually becomes the primary focus of the book of Genesis. <clears throat> God promised Abraham that he would give him a son. And he promised that through his son, all the nations of the world would be blessed. So blessing would come through the son of Abraham. And the 39 books of the Old Testament point forward to that son who would come. He was not born in the Old Testament. The son is the one person who would be the savior of the world. And of course, the New Testament reveals to us who that is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to us in the first four books of the New Testament. We call those the Gospels. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's revealed there for us. So let's, let's take a look at the four Gospels. Now we're going to, today it's more of a general overview of the four Gospels. Next week we're actually going to begin our study in the Gospel of Luke and we'll focus primarily on what Luke has to say about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, over the next many weeks. How do we know for sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is the promised Savior of the world? How do we know for sure? God established a rule in the Old Testament that says this, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. We have four. Okay? We have four. Now, if Tom or Angelo were called out to a, an accident scene and they wanted to establish the facts concerning the accident, what would they do? Tom, what would you do? Ask for witnesses. Ask for witnesses. What kind of witnesses are you looking for? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. People who actually saw the event take place. Okay? Not the aftermath, those who saw the incident. Okay? Do we have that? In the Gospels, how many? Well, no, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only four. So how many, how many eyewitnesses do we have? Do we? 
two. Okay, who are they? Matthew and John. Okay, Matthew and John were the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They lived, they ate, they slept, they did everything with the Lord for three years. They were the best eyewitnesses you could have in this kind of a, a setting. Okay, Matthew and John. Another way of determining fault in the accident is a, a term that has become very popular today, forensics. Forensics, okay? And the idea of forensics is a scientific, it, it's, it's a scientific uh, view of the evidence. It's determining the truth through scientific means, really, is what it is. And so it involves the application of scientific principles uh, to establish with certainty what actually happened. Dr. Luke, the uh, third gospel, he was a physician. And he's used by God to conduct what I would call a forensic study uh, uh, in his gospel. It involves thorough investigation. It establishes the timeline for us. He has done a tremendous amount of fact-checking and looking over the evidence to establish with certainty the things that had been reported. We have that forensic evidence in the Gospel of Luke. Mark's Gospel is uh, thought to be, um, uh, Mark's source, if you will, is thought to be Peter. Peter also was an eyewitness, uh, although he is not first-hand writing the gospel, uh, Mark uh, was very close to Peter, and uh, we assume that he got most of the information through uh, Peter. So we have four witnesses. Three of the witnesses are Jewish. One is a Gentile. Luke uh, is a Gentile. Who is Luke? Luke was a companion of Paul on uh, several parts of, of Paul's missionary journeys. It's another interesting thing about Luke is this. He actually wrote 2,157 verses in the New Testament. 28% of the New Testament was written by Luke, both the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. How many verses did Paul write? Less. Less. Yeah, well, it depends. And so I'll, I'll, I'm going to say about the same, and here's why. If... Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, it's more, and if he didn't write the book of Hebrews, it's less. So Paul wrote more or less the same amount as, <laughs> as uh, Luke. Okay. Let's talk about the theme of the Gospels. The main theme, of course, of all of the Gospels is the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And God brings four witnesses into his court to establish the facts and presents his son to us so that all might believe on him and have everlasting life. Um, the Gospels tells us, tell us, I should say, of his life and his love for all mankind. Um, Jesus lived on earth for 33 years. Each witness or each gospel tells us the story of his life from a different vantage point. Uh, Angelo, you've been to accidents before. You've had witnesses come up to you and they've told you about the accident. Do they tell you the story in exactly the same words? If they did, would you be troubled? Why? Okay. 
Okay, somebody got together ahead of time and is telling me a, a yarn here. That's what I would think if everybody said it exactly the same way. And uh, we, we have the same thing in the Gospels, that's, that we don't have the, the four writers of the Gospels saying exactly the same words. If we did, I think we would all be suspicious that one of them actually wrote it and the rest just copied it. Okay? It's not the way it worked. Um, they all write in a very different way. In fact, just as an example, only two of the Gospels actually record his birth. Now, if this is a biography of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would expect all of them to say something about his birth, but only two of them actually give us a genealogy. Um, And even the two genealogies are quite different, and the purpose of the genealogies is quite different. Now, somebody may object and say, well, John tells us about his birth as well, and I'll give you this point. He says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the genealogy in Luke. Because, uh, I mean, sorry, in John. And because John's emphasis is not on his humanity, but in fact it's on his deity. He was God, is God, always has been God, and then he became flesh. He became a man. That was something he wasn't before. That's the extent of his genealogy. So, Given that, there are three, but in in reality, there are two human genealogies, uh, if you like. Matthew and Luke record his birth. um, And then all of the Gospels fast forward over 30 years and begin with the life of um, uh, his ministry, his public ministry. Now, I will say this. Luke does give us one little sliver of information about that 30-year period when Jesus was 12 and he went into the temple and he was um, speaking about the word of God. That's, that's it. That's all we have. His birth, a little slice of the pie at 12 years old, and then everybody else fast forwards to when he entered into his public ministry at 30. So nearly 30 years of his life is obscured by God. But when he comes into his public ministry... We hear the words of God the Father, and this is what he says. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Wow. That sums up the 30 years. (laughs) That sums up who he is as a person. That sums up Jesus Christ. He is pleasing to God the Father. So what does God emphasize in the the, uh, Gospels? Three years of Jesus' public ministry. That's the emphasis. What does God emphasize in the three years of his public ministry? One week of Jesus' life. And in that one week of Jesus' life, what does he emphasize over all other things? His death, burial, and resurrection. And so, as we said earlier, the Old Testament is like a great big arrow pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Gospels, God is using his great big arrow again, pointing to the one event in all of history that is most important to him. And that is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the salvation um, of all of us. All who believe uh, can be saved because of that one act of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I, I was thinking about this today. If... 
if you were to uh, create a uh, um, Hollywood film, any kind of film actually, it doesn't have to come from Hollywood, but if you were to create a film of the life of Christ, you know the techniques they use in films and you see action and you see movement and you see this and that and the other thing. And then they use certain things for effect. Uh, if they really want you to just notice every little detail of some event in the film, what do they do? Slow-mo. Yeah, they use slow motion. They just slow everything down and everything is just a little bit slower. And then you, because it just slows you down, you can watch every little detail. That's what God has done here in the Gospels. You see action, 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 and then just all of a sudden it just slows way, way down. And there's so much more information given about the last week and then finally uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did God write it this way? I think the answer is found in the most famous verse of all of the Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to know how you can know Him. He wants you to have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants you to have your sins forgiven and know with absolute certainty that you are on your way to heaven and can live with Him forever. And I believe that's why. Um, in fact, John, John's gospel ends this way. He says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's why the Gospels were written. What are the Gospels? Well, the Gospels chronicle the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing like them in all of uh, literature. There isn't. I mean, are they biographies? No. Are they short stories? No, but they have short stories in them. Are they plays? No. Are they poems? Well, they contain poetry, but they're not poems. What are they? They're Gospels. There's nothing like them in all of uh, literature. Why four? Well, many more Gospels were written, actually, than four. But we only have four. And uh, Luke suggests that uh, this in the, in the first verse of his Gospel. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. So apparently there were many people who had taken a uh, task in hand to write the history or to write uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. But only four Gospels have been recognized for 2,000 years as authoritative. Uh, the Word of God inspired of God. And these four are uh, the four Gospels. The early church, even as early as uh, 120 A.D., um, accepted only these four Gospels that we have and no other Gospel as the inspired Word of God. Then someone in around 150 A.D. or so, somewhere in that neighborhood, his name was um, Tatian. He wrote something called a, and I, I'm, I don't know Greek, so I probably will get all this wrong, but uh, diatessaron. So that simply means through four. And so what he attempted to do was take the four gospel accounts and put them in a uh, chronological order. In other words, just merge them all together, uh, take out the parts that, that were repetitive, and just have one big gospel. Uh, probably the first 
or the earliest attempt to have what is called a um, harmony of the Gospels. But um, the early church didn't go for it. And they saw the value in keeping all four Gospels and recognized that they were inspired of God individually and kept them uh, distinct. Why do you think God wrote four Gospels? We've looked at the issue of two or three witnesses, and we have four. But let me answer that question with an illustration. I hope Kathy and Howard don't mind me, me doing it this way. Last Sunday, I attended a memorial service for Dale Swift. And um, Dale was Kathy's father. And um, during the service, they gave opportunity for family members and friends to get up and tell a story about, or to tell about Dale, how, what Dale meant to them uh, in their lives. And during the service, people stood up and, and they talked about him. Someone talked about Dale's service in the military. That's how he knew him. And so it was all about Dale and his service. Dale and his service. Dale and his service. And it gave me a little insight into Dale and his service. Another person told about what a great father he was to her. And I thought, well, that's about Dale and his relationship with his uh, children. And then a, um, a granddaughter got up and told about some interest, an interesting story about Dale and, and uh, riding her around on the motorcycle. And everywhere he went, she went with him. And, and then finally, as he got older, she ended up pushing him in the wheelchair. And it was a, an interesting story. It was, it was kind of cleverly done, but it gave us a little insight into her perspective of Dale. I liked it. Ron Chin got up and he spoke about Dale and his spiritual life, his relationship with God. It was great. And as I sat there, I knew Dale from my own perspective, but as I sat there, everybody who got up told me something I didn't know about Dale. I didn't know anything about these, uh, these events in his life. I mean, I knew he was in the military, but I didn't know about his service so much. And from their perspective, it gave us a more complete picture of the man, Dale Swift. Everybody knew him from a different perspective. Each person stood up and spoke about him. We got a complete picture of the one man. But no one walked out of that service last week and said, oh, there are a bunch of errors in what everybody said because they didn't agree. They didn't say the same thing. Nobody went away saying that. Everybody said, oh, they saw it from his perspective. The fact is, all four people told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Their facts were accurate, but they were telling the same story from different perspectives. The same is true in the Gospels. Some people have tried to take the four Gospel accounts um, and and criticize that they're not... um, that they don't agree. The fact is that it's very difficult to take the four Gospels and harmonize them. I don't even like the harmonies of the script of the Gospels because the, the, the Gospels are actually very different and their purpose is very different. Uh, there are great similarities, but there's probably more diversity in the Gospels as you compare them side by side. Um, and that's what makes it such a rich study. Together, they tell a story of the perfect Savior. Many people see the beauty in the distinctiveness of the Gospels, and I want to draw your attention to some of that today. So how do they differ? 
Well, there are features in each gospel that bring or that present the Lord Jesus Christ in a different light. So, for example, the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as a king. The Gospel of Mark presents him as a perfect servant. The Gospel of Luke presents him as the perfect man. And the Gospel of John presents him as God manifest in the flesh. Many... uh, I'm going to talk about symbolism for just a minute. Many uh, Bible students like to point out that in Ezekiel and in Revelation, we have symbols that represent the Lord Jesus as revealed in these Gospels. The symbols that they're talking about are the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. When you think of a lion, what do you think of? Besides its roar. Sorry? King. King. King of the jungle, right? It's the king of beasts. That's how we we view it. And so the lion is often associated with regal qualities as the king of beasts. Jesus is actually called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Matthew, the gospel of the king, best fits this symbol. Jesus Christ is the rightful king to sit upon David's throne. In fact, the first verse of the Gospel of Matthew says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how it starts. Why do we care about a genealogy? How do we determine if a person is a king? Through his genealogy. We, a person has to be born into a royal family. I can't be the king of Britain. I wouldn't want to be, but I can't be, even if I did want to be. The ox is an animal that's used for what? Labor. Lowly service. Okay, It's a servant type of an animal. And Mark is the gospel of God's perfect servant, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We see that in Mark. The symbol of the man fits Luke's theme of the perfect man. His humanity is evident in the gospel, in his tenderness towards men, and his tenderness towards women and children. He reaches through social barriers and religious barriers in uh, the gospel of Luke and racial barriers to embrace the Samaritans and to embrace the Gentiles. When his own disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven to destroy men, he says in that gospel, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That was the purpose for which he came. And finally, the eagle. The eagle makes its home in the heavens, and it represents the Son of God who came down from heaven. In fact, seven times in John chapter 6 alone, Jesus says, I came down from heaven. I came down from heaven. Did you come down from heaven? No. We can't say that. But as God, He can say that. He came down from heaven. John clearly presents the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as he presents Him, as I said earlier, as God manifests in the flesh. John 1.14 says this, And the Word, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, another reason there are four Gospels has to do with the audiences, the audiences for which the go- or to whom the, the um, Gospels were written. 
Matthew. Let's take a look at that for a minute. If you were to read Matthew with no knowledge of the Old Testament whatsoever, you would quickly get lost. Okay? Because right away he starts off with genealogies, uh, Old Testament Bible characters, the Jewish people, the kingdom of David, the Babylonian captivity, and you're going, what on earth is he talking about? If you have no knowledge of the Old Testament, you get lost. It was clearly written for a Jewish audience with a strong emphasis on the Old Testament scriptures. Um, it contains 50 or about 50 direct quotes from the Old Testament. It has about 75 allusions to the um, Old Testament events. In it, it answers the question, is Jesus really the Messiah? The Jews were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a king. They were looking for someone to sit on the throne of David because God had promised that to them. And so the question that he answers here, is Jesus the one we've been looking for? Is he the king? Is he the Messiah? And the answer is yes, he is. It also answers the question, well, if he is the Messiah, if he is the king, why didn't he set up his earthly kingdom? And the answer is given that Jesus uh, explains in the Gospel of Matthew that there is a, um, a hidden part of the kingdom or there is a, a temporary, um, there will not be a manifestation of the kingdom on earth until a later date. And so it also answers the question, will he return and set up his kingdom on the earth? And it overwhelmingly says yes. It also answers the question, why was the king rejected? Why was the king rejected? And it answers it by demonstrating that in the plan of God, the gospel of salvation would go out to the entire world, not just to the Jewish nation. That was something quite profound. The blessing that God promised to Abraham was that in his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Matthew, Matthew's gospel ends with these words, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's the Jews and the Gentiles. And so that is, um, in a summary, Matthew's gospel. Mark. Mark is a very busy book. And it's the gospel for those among us who, like the Romans of uh, his day, prefer action over word. It's, a, it's an active, active book. Um, the gospel focuses more on the miracles of Jesus than it does on the parables of Jesus. It jumps right into action, and it doesn't quit until his work is done. Now, there are clues in this gospel that it was written for a Roman audience. Mark, as he uh, talks about Jewish customs, he explains them. Matthew does not. He just states them. Mark explains the Jewish customs. Uh, he uses the Roman method of telling time. And he translates or explains the meanings of words uh, for a Roman audience. Mark records 18 miracles, but only four parables. He often mentions, um, as he's talking about the life of Christ, and Jesus taught there, but he never tells you what he taught there. He just says he taught there. Mark answers the question, why did Jesus come to earth? 
And the answer is he came to seek and to save those who are lost. It answers the question, who is Jesus Christ, with the answer, a servant, a perfect servant. It answers the question, how did he serve, with the answer, immediately. In fact, 36 times in his gospel, he uses that word, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, Jesus did this or that or the other thing. Um, Mark devotes 36% of his gospel to the one great act of service that Jesus Christ performed, and that is his death on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the last week of his service leading up to his sacrifice for our sins. The Gospel of Luke is for the Greeks and for others who, like them, love literature and art and careful study and It's a book brimming with culture and humanity and the perfect man among men. Luke was a Gentile. Obviously, he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, he traveled with Paul on uh, parts of his missionary journeys. Luke wrote 28% of the New Testament. As we mentioned, both Luke and Acts were written by him. He was a great historian and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote those two books. Why did he write the Gospel of Luke? Well, let's take a look at um, Luke chapter 1. We'll look more carefully at this next week, but just um, so you can see. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So the purpose of writing this gospel was to confirm the faith of a man called Theophilus so that he might be settled in his faith and to show that the things that he had been taught were based on sound historical facts. Luke was a physician, a man of great learning for his day, a careful investigator of facts. And really, when you look at the volume of pages that he wrote in the gospel of Luke, it's amazing to me that he did this for one man. It really is. Now, obviously, God had plans that the Gospel of Luke would be for our benefit as well. That was all part of it. But would I, I, I thought about this. Would I go to this kind of trouble to confirm the faith of one individual believer? It's an amazing amount of work that he put into this Gospel uh, for that purpose. The emphasis in this gospel is that salvation is not only for the Jews, but it is also for the Gentiles and the Samaritans as well. Very little is said about the fulfillment of prophecy as this wouldn't be so important to the Gentiles as it would be to the Jews. Luke writes more um, about the universal message of the gospel than the others did. Uh, It's clear from his writing that the gospel is for all. And there's also a strong emphasis in the gospel on repentance, forgiveness, prayer, and joy. And we're going to look at Luke in detail over the next um, months. 
John, let's take a look at John's gospel real quickly. It is both simple and profound. When I say it's simple, I mean this. The words that he chooses are very, very simple. But the thoughts are very, very deep. John was the disciple who leaned on Jesus' breast. And perhaps we hear more of the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus in this gospel than in any other. John is not for the Jews or for the Romans or for the Greeks, but for everyone. It is the most evangelistic gospel among the four of them. It, It is the evangelist's gospel, really. It is the gospel emphasizing whosoever will may come. John answers the question, is Jesus God? And there's an overwhelming evidence, there's overwhelming evidence that he is. The answer is stated most clearly in this gospel. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He goes on to explain clearly that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Um, And in this gospel, Jesus' direct statement of I am and the numerous I am statements that he makes refer back to the revelation of God to Moses at the burning bush. Jesus was really claiming there very emphatically that he, in fact, is God. John answers a question that we should all be asking, and that is this. What must I do to be saved? If I were to die today and I were to stand before God and he were to ask me the question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? John gives us the answer. What must I do to be saved? You must be born again, he says. It's very clear in the Gospel of John that believe in Jesus and receiving eternal life um, are clearly associated. In fact, he says this ten times in the Gospel, something similar to this. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The synoptic gospels. Have you ever heard the term synoptic gospels? Okay. What it really means is Matthew, Mark, and Luke look at the life of Jesus through the same eyes, in other words, with the same lenses. They take the same view of the life of Christ. There is um, more in common with those three gospels than with John. Uh, They're written from a third-person point of view. And it's as though the authors were reporting on events that they had seen and heard. And, of course, they had. John has more unique material in his gospel and is more reflective in the way he presents it. Uh, He writes in a similar viewpoint, but instead of it being um, like a reporter reporting on what he had seen and heard, his is more like a commentary looking back, um, uh, um, explaining the events after the fact, not so much as they occurred. And we we can look at that in more detail. Um, I want to talk about a couple of differences between the synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, we see that 55 times, in Mark, 20 times, and in Luke, 46 times, in John, five times. It's not the emphasis of the book. 
when we look at the issue of eternal life, John is the outstanding gospel here. In Matthew, seven times. In Mark, four times. In Luke, five times. But in John, we read about eternal life 36 times. It is the gospel, how one uh, can come to know God, how one can have eternal life. All right. Well, let me just say this. Um, Our time is is nearly up, so let me just um, mention this to you. At Calvary Bible Chapel, we believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of scriptures. I'm going to talk more about that next week. This means that the Bible is free of error in all of its parts. The Lord Jesus told his disciples in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And he clearly did that in the Gospels of Matthew through John. This assurance that the Lord gave uh, to his disciples underscores the way the scriptures were written. Matthew and John were both eyewitnesses of the events. Mark had Peter as his source, and Luke clearly states that he investigated all of these things that he had written down. But when it came time for the choice of words, the writing down of the final draft, if you will, it was clear, as Peter said, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have in these Gospels. The the Gospels aren't simply the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the words of God through these men that he inspired. From God's perspective, God spoke to the world throughout history. He spoke in the Old Testament through many uh, prophets, um, through the fathers, But he says in Hebrews chapter 1, God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. The full revelation of God came to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the four Gospels, do we have everything that Jesus did? No, we don't. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that if all the things that he said and did were written The world could not contain the books. We only have four Gospels, the four that God wanted us to have. And the Bible says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There is enough about the Lord Jesus Christ here in the Gospels, where if you read it, you believe it, you can be saved. That is the purpose that we have, uh, for which we have the Gospels. So we'll end uh, this morning. Let's just pray, and then, uh, Dave, you have a, a closing hymn. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that it tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ and that in it are the words of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that... Um, You presented yourself in uh, such a clear way, manifesting who God is. 
We thank you for the words of eternal life. And Lord, as we study the Gospel of Luke in the days ahead, we pray that you might um, reveal to us or demonstrate to us who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he has said and what he has done. And Lord, how we might become more like him, our precious Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.